0: Good morning.
1: Hey. And welcome to our podcast. It's nice to see you again. Haven't seen you in like a whole minute. Mm -hmm. I know. It's great.
0: Quarantine is great.
1: (laughs) Just so you know, we have been together every day since the middle of February. Like (laughs) short of him running to the pharmacy to pick up one of our medications, there's very little time that we've been separated from each other. So we're having a great time. Mm -hmm. Luckily, we like each other, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a thing that happens. So, I have some topics. Um, one of them was actually brought up by some kids that have been over to our house and played the old escape room we used to have. We don't anymore. It was under the stairs and questionably fun. Some people loved it, and other people really just gave us death glares.
0: I think more than anything, it was tortuous.
1: Yeah. I enjoyed watching. Um, We're going to talk about something inside of there, specifically how people don't always interact with props the way that you expect them to interact with props. And we have a specific example in mind there. Also going to talk about something that I do most of our work with actually around resin and epoxy. So things to keep in mind around working with that. And then again, I have a surprise for Evan. I'm sure he'll love it. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. All right. So we'll get started with that first one then. How people interact with props. So, kind of said it before, but people don't always react to things they find the way that you expect them to. As a prop designer, when you make a prop, you have a way that you expect people to interact with that prop, but you don't always think about the other things they could do with it. And that can lead to problems. Um, definitely, we've had some experiences with that. And I know other prop makers have too. People just don't always do things. They pull on things that you don't expect them to pull on. They push on things that shouldn't be pushed on. They just, it's just not, it's in human nature. We're curious. We want to play with things and how Evan reacts to something may not be the same way that I react to something when we're making props. Um, We're going to remove the noise maker from, from Zinni over there. Yeah. So under our stairs, we had set things up like, I want to get in the whole story, but you were in a basement. And so we had installed some pipes underneath the stairs along the walls. So it looked a little bit more like you actually might be in a basement. And one of those props had something, one of those pipes had something inside of it that you had to get out. And the way that we designed it. So you got something out was we had a air pump that you would put into a hole in that pipe and pump it to get the, it was a ping pong ball, get the ping pong ball out and I'm going to pause and let you think of the n- first thing that everyone ever did to this pipe was not wait to get the pump. It was put their mouths on it and then blow. Even after people, we started telling people, don't put your mouths on anything in the room. They still put their mouths on there and blew, which is kind of gross. Okay, let's be real. It's yeah. gross.
0: I think there's there's definitely some value in what you're saying. So it's a good idea to give a prop to somebody who knows nothing about it and ask them to solve it before you put it in your room because um, you have all of this background knowledge of how you intend it to be solved and the other person won't. And watching somebody solve it for the first time in a beta test is great because you can you can see the gears turning in their head and understand how they're trying to dissect it. And um, we actually had a blow in it prop in san francisco as well one of right. the, one of the games there um and uh, it was the same thing they had put stickers all over it and said do not blow into the hole you know because they knew that that was how you bypass the prop well you know it, it that goes back to my one of my rules for escape rooms is if you have to put a sign on it that says don't do this then you probably need to rethink that prop but yeah. um unless it's really cool then i'm then i'm all for it but,
1: <laughs> but maybe not a blue pipe yeah. let's just say we learned from our experiences there when we design props now we try to think of what is the expected outcome how do we want things to work and then are there other things people might try to do with this um and sometimes it just changes how we have to install that prop we made a giant wheel for someone's wall but the wheel had spokes on it and my first instinct whenever i looked at it is i wanted to turn it and you absolutely could not turn this prop; or it would ruin everything so we didn't change the prop or the design or how it looked. We changed how it was mounted. So it was physically impossible to rotate that on the wall. And so sometimes it's not really changing much at all. Um, other times you play with it and you're, you're thinking, you're brainstorming, you're like, yeah, that's just never going to work because everyone's first instinct is going to do be to do X when you really want them to do Y. And it's just a little bit about the prop design. Sometimes you want things to be a little confusing or hard. And so it's good to have... Some distraction in there. Um, I get that. Some prop prop makers and owners are all about red herrings. I have to admit, I put those in too. Distractions are good, so people know what's real versus what's not. But um, don't want to do something in there that's going to cause your props damage or just make people unnecessarily frustrated.
0: Yeah, and we can't wait to see the comments on red herrings.
1: <laughs> uh-huh. By the way, we played an escape room in Orlando that had an actual red herring in it, like a red fish in the room yeah. <laughs> and we laughed for a very long time about that. So, all right. So we'll go on to our next topic now. Um, honestly, this is something that I think I've worked with that Evan hasn't done much with. He has done some, um, and that's around uh, resin or epoxy. Um, we use we use both, um, so, and it just depends on the application. So we have very, I would say 10% of our props have some form of epoxy in them. Um, we use these pretty commonly to hold things together. Um, So when we're putting the electronics into the prop, I might have for like LED lights, specific holders I've designed that I can epoxy in place. So they're not going to move. And then I pop the lights into place so that they're where they're supposed to be on that prop. So we use just like regular Gorilla Glue epoxy five minute, one minute. What um, don't use, we don't use the dollar store one. (laughs) We learned that. The super fun way, it has never hardened for me. I don't know what we're doing wrong, but I'm following the instructions and I use plenty of other epoxies and haven't had a problem with that. So I wouldn't use really cheap epoxy if you want things to go well, unless you've just had good luck, great for you. Um, We've also made pieces that are tangible that people play with and move and utilize. Um, without getting into too many details here, but they're usually things that have RFIDs embedded into them and people are putting them or holding them in certain places to make things happen. Um, a lot of people will just tape, put RFID stickers on the bottom of a candlestick. We tend to embed them within our props. So for 3D printing, we'll put a space in there to put the RFID in place. But we also will use epoxy as our method for hiding that. Um, so we'll actually we have molds. Sometimes I buy the molds off of Etsy, sometimes I make the molds. And then as we're filling that, we'll place the RFID in place and continue pouring epoxy around it. And it's really nice because that is never going to break. Okay. Okay. It could break, but in normal gameplay. If it's thick enough, if it's cured properly, it's not going to break. You're not going to have a problem. Your biggest problem is going to be someone putting it in their pocket and walking away with it. But this is what we use typically in that case is Art & Glow Resin. Um, These are both pretty old. One of them is almost empty and very sticky and the other one is yellowed. I'm gonna guess these are a couple years old now. It's been a bit since I've done a prop with those. Um, But that is something I found really useful. This is pretty inexpensive. You can get it off of Amazon super easy one-to-one mixing works really easily. You can dye it with alcohol dyes. You can dye it with um, micas. You can dye it with other options too, but I tend to we tend to use either the micas or the alcohol inks for those particular dyes. Just be careful when you buy the alcohol inks that you look at the colors that are in there because an assortment of colors probably means pink and not red. Unfortunately, that's what I've found in the things that I've ordered. I don't know if you have
0: yeah and if um if you're having any challenge with specifically art and glow, it's a fairly thick resin um uh, you can do a couple of different things to deal with the the bubbles because you probably don't want bubbles in your final product um you'll see a lot of stuff on the internet i I won't go into you know you need to use heat or fire to pop the bubbles that come onto the top um but one thing that I found that works really well with that specific resin and other thick resins is to Um, Put them in a water bath. So you're going to put your resins in cups and you're going to put those cups in a warm water bath.
1: Don't let water get in um, them.
0: Exactly. But But you want to basically warm up the resin a little bit and it makes it less viscous. And so the bubbles will just float to the top. And And he'll do that
1: with part A separate from part B before he mixes them. And then depending on the working time, this one's actually pretty good for working time. Um, I think it's around 40 minutes. So actually after he'll mix it, he can put it back in the water bath and give it a couple more minutes for those bubbles to rise. But depending on your your resin, you'll probably want to be a little more careful with the time because some of them have very limited working time. I like this one for the working time. The only downside I have on this particular one is if you want it to be clear, it doesn't always stay clear. It'll sometimes yellow. So use a pigment or, or use some kind of dye or ink or something that's going to help you Mask that yellow color because um, that is somewhat problematic for that
0: Yeah, and that's primarily if it's gets exposed to sunlight right. so that that accelerates it a lot
1: faster This also turned yellow after two years in my closet. So <laughs> yeah, beware of that the other option we've used and I have to apologize for not remembering the brand if I can remember it I will get that is we made Another giant thing it was four foot wide circle to go put on a wall in someone's escape room and it had a lot of backlights and stuff and in our previous props like that we would laser cut out the shape in the wood then we would laser cut it out acrylic and glue that acrylic in place and it was time consuming and somewhat painful i think would be how i would describe (laughs) like me sitting on top of the table putting some glue in evan laying on the floor underneath the table and hoping that nothing fell on us basically it wasn't the most conducive way to building this prop this time around we decided instead to use some tabletop epoxy on the prop and basically what we would did instead is we did a um a seal coat where we just put on a very thin coat to it was mdf so it was pretty pretty good to do this but we put a seal coat in there we brushed around the little holes that were a part of that after that seal coat is closed my and my dad was helping me with this we flipped it over and we taped the back and then flipped it back over and then we let all the dust settle before we did any next steps and my dad was very great, good to do this for me because he works in his shop 24 seven and this one had a 24 hour cure time. So it had a lot of time before he was able to go out there and start making dust again. But um, we poured that and we, we put it in place and it works really well. Like I haven't had any complaints about that prop. Actually that whole prop in general, we've never had to go out and do any repairs or any maintenance on. I
0: think that's one of the coolest props we ever made.
1: It's I know great. it is is very, very beautiful. Um, if you're ever curious to know what we're talking about, I would recommend going, um, going out and playing some of the escape rooms in Dallas and see if you can tell us which one you think it is. But it's probably one of my favorite props we've ever made. Yeah, it's cool. All right. Well, it's that time again. Can you guess what I have for you, Evan?
0: I have no idea.
1: It might be a surprise, though. <laughs> you really have no idea? No. Oh, man. Okay. Well, you guys, we promised you this in our first podcast when we talked about the combination locks. We have a directional lock um, and I'm going to be nice and give Evan the code for that too. It's on the back of my sticky here and you'll get to see how much he loves, especially how this code is.
0: Yeah. One thing I love about these is whenever you go play an escape room and the escape room, uh, the escape game master, um, Tells you, well, you need to push down on the shackle five times to reset it. I'm guessing it's because, you know, they they know that people don't actually do it. But you actually only have to do it twice. Um, But this code, we've actually, there are some stickers on this lock. And um, they have different symbols on them. So the code is technically, let's see, ampersand less than question mark dollar sign.
1: To be to the left
0: okay i saw s <laughs>
1: <laughs> so that's an that's so my biggest problem with these locks is when people do change the combination i don't mind that the letters get changed or something like that but when you use special characters like he just named out to you yeah, it's so much harder because they're tiny i know I, and, uh, and again i'll try to get a picture of it in, in the description or something but they're tiny. And when you're in a low light situation, if you don't have really good vision, it's very hard. This particular lock happens to work really well. We've never had problems with it, but it's also not under high use. This lock probably hasn't been opened in a year and a half. Um, since I, Actually, since February 2nd, 2019, that was the last time this lock was open. Um, I, I sent Evan on a scavenger hunt one year. Mm-hmm. But um it works really well because it's not under high use. And probably my biggest complaint about these are first off that you have to give instructions on how to reset it. Now that's great, it's really twice. Um, There's also no definite number of things that can be in the code. So mine's four, but this can hold so many different directions as a part of that. I've had someone put one in there that was like 40 directions you had to put that lock. And if you mess up one of those, you have to redo the whole thing. Just difficult especially if you're in different rooms and it's hard to communicate sometimes um, the other thing is is they, they break and what will end up happening is it doesn't go back to center so like if evan pulls that out right now and he pushes up it returns to center after being under constant use it will not return to center on its own which means that
0: or it will over return i've definitely seen it where you it pops you back here and, and, and it goes
1: down yeah. and then it triggers that down Which means that your code wasn't entered. And you don't know that it's not, I don't have the right code. The lock was a problem. You just know you can't open the lock. Yeah. I
0: definitely had escape room owners say, well, whenever you're doing this, remember to just hold on to the little button and make sure that it doesn't flip around. Like, well, now's the time to replace your lock.
1: And I will tell you, um, I've been in four or five situations where the bolt cutters have come into the escape room that I was playing. Four of those situations were with directional locks.
0: Hmm.
1: That is weird. And honestly, it was not a good gameplay experience for us. Um, the fifth time was actually a reset error and they had an extra lock in the room that wasn't supposed to be there and no one knew the code for it. And the owners, thankfully we were beta testing, so it was pretty early on, but the owners had to go out and buy lock cutters so that we could finish playing the room. thankfully it was beta testing and it was a reset error and it went a real real problem there but they lost the lock as a result of that reset error but the other times were all directional locks and i know that i've heard other people have similar bad experiences with them but they're neat because they're not something that everyone sees in everyday use
0: yeah and i think they can definitely be really cool I've seen them used before, where you're following along a map and you go north, south, east, west, whatever. That's really neat. I think this use case with symbols and ampersands and dollar signs—it's just
1: complicated to be complicated. Yeah,
0: and it's also really hard to read. And so, if your vision's not very good, um, it could be quite difficult to see what these symbols are.
1: And then I'll show you one more problem I have with these locks um, from personal. Is once they're open, they're really easy to reset. Yeah, there's this little switch on the back. they're not hard to reset, you guys. Yeah. just gonna put that out there. be careful if you put those in rooms and people fidget with them for too long. You may not come back to the same code you had and your next group might have issues, which is I think what happened in most of the cases where I well no, two of them, the lock were broken. one of them the lock was totally fine. It was just the code didn't work. So yeah. I think that's what happened in that case so and I do know as a joke, we had talked about, man, wouldn't it be fun if we did if we went in and reset some locks and we're like, we're not jerks enough to do that, <laughs> thankfully, you guys, but. But I do know people out there who just play, and they don't know that they're doing doing anything. Yeah, well, if they could tell you that they'd done that, well,
0: and especially a lot of the locks, you reset them by just putting the shackle in a certain position, and um, you know, I think that would be easy to accidentally do. So,
1: yep, absolutely. But anyway, um, I do want to say I issued that challenge a few weeks ago on the um, online escape game, and I had someone get to the point where they could play it but not actually finish and get to the end
0: oh the
1: 13th path i know (laughs) Mm. so um that's interesting either that or my statistics are wrong and if you did get there i'm sorry and comment in the video (laughs) (laughs)
0: um
1: it's very likely i'm reading that incorrectly (laughs) well thank you um I really appreciate everyone's feedback. I know I I had gotten some questions recently about the, the epoxy and resin. That's why we added it in this time. So if you have other topics you'd like us to talk about, we're happy to bring those into the podcast. Oh, and you know what? We have a minute. I just want to talk about another hobby Evan and I had really quickly because we're both wearing the same shirts we wore last time. Um, Evan and I learned how to silk silkscreen yeah, the shirts we're wearing. There you go.
0: Yeah, this is an XKCD cartoon, actually. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And, and mine is um our old logo. It's just got our old logo on it. We've actually changed it since then. That's the one I designed using PowerPoint. We've had someone else design a real logo not using PowerPoint since that point in time. But since we're both wearing them, I think these are the same shirts we wore in the last podcast. Um, I just wanted to say this is something that we can yeah, do. Yeah, and
0: that's another fun thing that you can we, – we actually learned that through our makerspace. And so if you have a local makerspace – those are some of the great tasks and things that they can help you learn because um, silk screening requires so much stuff, maybe 500 bucks worth of equipment um, and inks and dyes and all of that. So uh, definitely something to look forward
1: to. We love our makerspace. Anyway, thanks everyone. We hope to talk to you soon next time.
0: Yep. Thank you. Bye. Bye.